What's up, y'all? And welcome to Black and Intellectualish, a podcast about race, education, culture, or whatever else comes up. I'm your boy, MP. And I'm teaching. All righty. This is episode 39. How you doing, T? I'm doing pretty good. I'm here in Toronto. So that feels good. I kind of was told that the traveling would be like really crazy at Pearson, which is Toronto's airport. But -mm. thankfully, it was smooth. This guy was telling me like last time he landed, he had to wait two hours for his luggage. I did not have that problem. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm grateful that traveling has become like somewhat smoother since the pandemic. So that makes me happy. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Just wrapping up my last couple of weeks in uh, this this city uh, and the state, (laughs) actually. So it's been really uh, interesting just preparing to move. I haven't done that in years. And so uh, a lot of logistical things, a lot of just stuff to handle, not my favorite. Uh, So I was, you know, sharing with you earlier, like, I just had to sit down and make a to-do list uh, for mm-hmm. me and my wife and say, here's all the little tiny things we got to <laughs> do before we get out of here. Uh, because if not, we, I know we would end up regretting it later on down the road. But doing well other than that, uh, not a whole lot of like vacation or traveling this summer just because of the the move and starting a new position. But definitely excited about the good things to come in the next couple of weeks and then you know just move into a new area it's always like a new adventure a lot to explore that kind of stuff so excited about that too yeah moving is its own as you said like adventure its own yeah. traveling it's kind of crazy to think about like when we started the podcast over two years ago how much has kind of changed and that we both started living in the same town <laughs> recording <Yeah>. in person <laughs> and it was so yeah. funny because my mom was like oh are you guys recording I'm like yeah She's like, you know, you don't record in person. I'm like, it's so funny because I like, not that I forgot that we recorded in person, but it's been such a long time that I don't even think about less recording in person like we used to. So yeah, it's crazy to think like we'll both be in new states in different jobs, no longer students. So it'll be an interesting kind of experience. And I'm sure the pod will also like kind of grow and change because of that like PhD 101 might be seems like a thing of the past (laughs) but um, yeah it's just interesting to see how we've kind of changed over the years yeah I was actually thinking about that as well just the change in how we record because we were started recording virtually because of the pandemic yeah and we didn't even know how to do it we were like (laughs) maybe we get yeah. a microphone, like we use the microphone, but and we can hook it up and still do Zoom. Or maybe we got to do it this way. And we were trying to figure out like what would work. And we made it work. And we were like, man, we can't wait till this is a wrap because, you know, this sucks. And we want to get back to doing it in person. And then just like life. I think we, I think maybe both yeah. of us forgot it at the moment that like life was going to happen and we would be in different places. <laughs> I'm glad that we have this and that we kind of figured out this style. And to your point on PhD 101, I was actually just meeting with somebody and they were asking me, they did ask me about the podcast and like how it was going, but they also asked me about just PhD programs. And like they were talking about thinking about going into a PhD program and exploring different options for different types of programs and what is it like. And it made me realize that, you know, there's still a lot of folks out there. And and I, I want to make sure, obviously, that this podcast continues to grow and gets to those people. But there's so many people out there who just have questions about some of the things that I think me and you take for granted mm-hmm. because we've gone through the process. 
Yeah. And so like I was talking to him about, you know, he has a nonprofit. And so he was thinking, oh, I should do my PhD in like nonprofit management. And I'm like, yeah, but if you're more interested in the people and not the organization level stuff, then maybe you would want to do like sociology or anthropology, or you might want to do, you know, and I was naming all these different types of programs, social psych, IO psych, and explaining to him what the difference would be in terms of the approach to the research. Yeah. And just, just realizing that like some of that stuff, not to say that we can answer all the questions all over the world, but just realizing, I think maybe a future version of PhD 101 could even be like having people send in questions they have about graduate education and us kind of going through and answering some of that stuff. Yeah. Or maybe we can find the questions on, is it Quora or one of those online things? I don't, I don't and, know. I see Quora and I'm like, who are these people that are asking questions? <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe you read like, it. Maybe they've been, read yeah. They've been answering. So they've been asking some questions that I had. I'm like, God, I'm not the only one. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Reddit, Reddit is a good place for that too. But Reddit is also the wild, wild west. So I have to be careful. But a lot of the stuff that I see on Quora, like people discussing things and answering, I see that same thing on there too. It's funny. So two things. One, totally agree with you on like how things shift and also our perspective. Maybe puts us in a position where you take the information for granted. Just like knowing also people who have PhDs, I realize because of our experience being in PhD programs and also I think because of our identities, we also connected maybe more closely with like scholars of color, black scholars in mm -hmm. particular. So for me, it's so funny because I'm like, oh, I feel like, okay, I know e easily I can name like 15 black scholars with PhDs that mm -hmm. I know. But then when you think about it, it's like less than 5% of people that have PhDs are black. And so yeah. it's just so crazy because in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, most of the people that I'm close to, that I talk to on a regular basis who have PhDs are black. But yet that is such a small percentage of the field. And so yeah. I think that also is something that, you know, makes, you know, our podcast unique is that both of us are going to have PhDs and both have access to people who have PhDs, which is rare. But I think because of our positionality, it doesn't feel as rare as it is. So I totally yeah. agree with you on that. And then in terms of Reddit, I might come back to Reddit in this episode, but it's funny because... <laughs> I recently just discovered Reddit, but I particularly go for like random shows that I watch. So mm, particularly yeah. some reality shows. I never really was into it before. I remember one time when I was coming to our school um, that, that we both attended, I was looking for a microwave on campus. And so yeah. I went to Reddit and tried to find what are some accessible microwaves for students. And I remember I feel like that was my first interaction with reddit i've considered making like a reddit profile because right now i just read stuff mm -hmm. i don't write anything but it's, i'm like you know there's a few shows that i get into and i'm like reddit seems pretty live on those yeah it is maybe a more micro version of twitter and okay. so what i mean by that is like back in the day you know you'd be on twitter when a tv show would happen or some event like the grammys or whatever and everybody would be talking about a yeah. thing and they'll be using a hashtag but that's not really a community. It was just like any random person at the time who was watching that thing could talk about it and then people would reply. Reddit, I mean, I'm explaining it. I'm over explaining this because I mean, it's just a discussion board. But like people will coalesce around an issue or a topic yeah. or mm -hmm. a physical location, a community, and they'll talk about things. And so the reason I was joking, Sam, it's kind of wild on there is because we were trying to find different stuff about where to live, where we're moving to. 
And we were also looking up like where to sell or how to get rid of our like couch that we have. And I won't name the area code because that would tell everybody where I'm moving and I don't want to do that. But it was like the area code I was searching for when I searched the first, one of the first things that came up was like the area code and then swingers and like the area code gone wild. And I was like, I need to turn these adult filters back on. (laughs) Because I was like, what is going on in this city? But it was just, it was one of those things where like any topic, literally any topic that you can think of, there's probably a a Reddit community around it. People that either care or over care about something. I've been on there sometimes for, there's a, I'm telling all my nerdy business now, but I follow this YouTuber who has a YouTube channel called The Game Theorist. And he makes videos about like video games and like lore and things about video games. And he also has a a couple other channels called Film Theory and Food Theory. Mm -hmm. And anyway, long story short, he has like Reddit communities of people who come together and talk about that stuff. And so I've been on there for that as well. So it is random, but it might be a good place like for us to to find those types of questions for the pot and just spark conversation. Yeah. Or Twitter too. So yeah, I feel like, yeah, people can send them in and we can also find them. Sometimes they might be funny, but also, you know, informative. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely talked to people who have told me that I'm the only black person in a PhD program that they know, which is crazy, right? Being in a college town, but people have told me that before. So realizing that sometimes you might be, as they used to say in the church back in the day, you might be the only Bible that people read, right? Like that's (laughs) like, like, yeah, that's something that, oh my gosh, in the South, it it was like a big (laughs) statement. It was like, you might be the only Bible that some people read. So it's almost like, watch how you live in your life. But like in that same vein, sometimes you're the only academic people know, like you're the only connection to like academia, PhDs, intellectualism that people really have. And so it's good for me to like, remember that and realize that and know that I don't need to take the knowledge and experiences that I've had for granted. Yeah, that totally makes sense in terms of just like realizing that we are unique. But I feel like just, I think we take that for granted sometimes yeah. just because of the circles we're in. For sure, for sure. Alrighty, see, so we're gonna do some pop culture this episode um, and some news. But before we get into all of that, I wanted to start because we talked about how we were just kind of due for some black joy, some good old yeah. like joy. The world has been so crazy. You know, we've had a couple of shootings. There's the uh, insurrection, the trial hearing thing that's happening um, right now as we speak. And it just seems like there's a lot of polarization and negativity happening. And so it just made me start to think about what is actually bringing me joy? What are those moments where I just feel myself disconnecting from all of the the drama and the madness of the world and tapping into just pure kind of joy and elation and, and being happy? Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to see if what is something that's bringing you joy right now in these crazy times we're in? I'm realizing when I think about what brings me joy, it often connects with television shows. (laughs) I will admit that as much as I read for work, I'm struggling to read in terms of like my own personal downtime. Like Mm. I know that you're great on audiobooks, but when I get a moment where I'm not working or doing something social, I definitely enjoy watching TV. So there is 
two shows that come to mind, but the first that I want to bring up is RuPaul's Drag Race All Stars. I I don't oh, know oh. if I've talked about the show on the pod before. Maybe I have. Can't remember. But I will say that I actually started to watch Drag Race a few years ago. So this is, I believe, All Stars Seven. But RuPaul's Drag Race is on its like 18th or 19th season, and I started to binge watch it a couple years ago in December 2016, to be exact, because. My grandfather had passed away. And for me, I'm a kind of person that like when heavy stuff happened, I don't really like dramas or Mm. shows that are like filled with like emotional things. And it was a hard time given like my grandfather passed away, but also it was like Christmas season. And so I remember like kind of discovering RuPaul's Drag Race. I believe it was on some streaming service, maybe Netflix at the time. And I went from not watching any episode to watching like four seasons and like one month <laughs> and just really becoming a fan so much so that like I've gone to see some of the queens when they've come to campus and just really have enjoyed the program so much and also what I feel like the show stands for. But I will say this all-star season has just been so amazing. They brought back like qu- queens that I love, particularly Black queens, one um, named Shea Coulee and it's just been so entertaining and like funny and just brings me so much joy and it's crazy like when I think about a show it's funny that sometimes I don't know if this ever happens to you but I'm in the middle of watching it and I'm like it's making me so happy and <laughs> I will say for me growing up as a Jamaican Canadian woman being exposed to anybody who was out in the LGBTQ community was not something that my family or anyone discussed and so even like when I'm watching drag race here at home my grandmother at first was like super curious what is this mm-hmm. and now like when she sees me she's like, are you watching it can I watch it <laughs> and so it like may seem small but I think like for me it's also been interesting to expose my family members to LGBTQ community and also like just this transformative thing it's just so crazy how like talented these people are and like their transformations it's hard to explain but it just makes me laugh i'll go from laughing and crying in one episode i'm like what's wrong with me but it's so fun i recommend like if there's a season if somebody hasn't watched um rupaul's drag race i would start with this season it's phenomenal and rupaul like puts so much history into each episode it's interesting because even though it's an entertainment show there's so critical elements Um, And so RuPaul incorporates things about LGBTQ history or Black history into these episodes. And they've won, I don't know how many Emmys at this point. The show has won like over 20. But yeah, I'm a fan. It's bringing me joy. (laughs) So (laughs) I've definitely been enjoying it. I have to give that show a try at some point. You know how I am with like reality shows. Sometimes I can deal with competition shows a little bit better. But I've never heard anything negative about RuPaul's Drag Race or, or any of the, if there are spinoff shows, I know like the All-Star thing sounds like a spinoff show. I've never heard anything negative about it. So I think it would be worthwhile to to maybe give it a try. I, I mean, I grew up in Southern Alabama and it was, you know, it's about as conservative as you could get. I mean, similar to you, like I didn't grow up around people who were out and a part of the LGBTQ plus community. I think obviously when I look back or not even look back, like some of the people I still know from Alabama are gay or lesbians. And I know one person I went to school with is trans and like realizing 
that was a part of them that they couldn't express when we were in school because of the environments that we grew up in. And so seeing them as adults, being able to like live their full, like authentic lives and do that unapologetically is something that like, I don't say anything to them because I think it would be weird. I don't want to be like weird, but it brings me joy to see people that I know, like somebody that I've, that I lived with at one point, a roommate of mine that like, we never knew because I don't think he felt comfortable to, to be his full authentic self in that environment. And realizing that that TV show, I think has educated a lot of folks in a lot of ways in the same ways. I mean, there may be some problematic elements to this other show I mentioned, but Almost like in the same way that a lot of people say that Will and Grace taught them everything they know about what it means to be gay or whatever. Like just, I think RuPaul's Drag Race has opened up a lot of people's eyes to the drag community and what that is and like the trans community and what that is and just different things that I think were so underground before. I know me and Aisha, we never watched RuPaul's Drag Race, like I said, but we watched Pose. And like, we haven't watched in a while. I don't know if it's still on, but we stopped at a season three or something like that. And we haven't watched anymore, but like learning about just the history of the ballroom stuff and mm -hmm. learning about just the challenges that that community went through and the isolation that they feel and knowing that it's largely in some of those communities, people of color who are dealing with a lot of that stuff and realizing that there's such a bifurcation between the LGBTQ community and the black community because of the homophobia that kind of runs rampant in the black community. Like you just, yeah, it's just like a big learning experience. It's entertainment, but it's so much learning that happens. So I get it. Yeah. And I think like you bring up some great things. One is that even when you think about the evolution of RuPaul's Drag Races before when like the first early episodes, it was commonly men who typically are gay and they would be performing in drag and RuPaul would say and let the best woman win mm -hmm. and over the years there's been a few participants who maybe at the time of the show but mainly after identified as trans and even mm -hmm. at the beginning some people were like oh trans people trans women can't do drag race it's only for like men who do drag and so the community has evolved where I think like the last traditional season had, I believe, three or four people who identified as trans, which is like, wasn't common and was kind of taboo yeah. even within the show. And so even just seeing how there are a number of changes within the community and how things are growing and having like different language and speaking to the show specifically, now RuPaul will say, let the best drag queen win. Or like she changes the language depending on what's happening in the season. And this season in particular, again, why I think that it's a great season to watch is like an all winners, all stars. So it's like super talented people. And then when you're thinking about reality show, I remember that like Netflix helps me understand what kind of reality shows that I like. I might have mentioned this already, but it's like competition or talent related reality shows. So mm -hmm. I am not a big fan of let's say like people just being like rich and having a reality show <laughs> but mm -hmm. I like the competition <laughs> element and what yeah. like I think Drag Race does a great job is like combining <laughs> the term that RuPaul uses charisma uniqueness um nerve and talent which you know mm. the acronym tells you <laughs> something yeah but essentially it's like fashion I think it combines really like fashion just like talent whether it be like dancing lip singing and then it just like there's so much reads and like dragging people that's also just funny so you get a mixed bag of things but I agree with you that like 
a great element of the show is learning for people. And it's sad, but many of us, unfortunately, even if I think about like white people, they might not get exposure to black people. And television is the way that a lot of people get insight into communities that we may not have access to, don't try to have access to, or just may not have relations to. So I think that it does give us insight. And that's why it's important that oftentimes we have communities that make their own television shows or are behind producing these things. And it is really important that, you know, Rue being a Black person is able to create this show that talks about the importance of Black people within the LGBTQ community. Because I did not know in terms of a lot of stuff that relates to Pride, and it is Pride Month, you know, started by Black LGBTQ people who were really fighting against, you know, the treatment of LGBTQ people. So understanding how like Black people had a um, space in the movement that is towards better rights for LGBTQ people. I had no idea, you know, until watching um, RuPaul's Drag Race. And as you said, like, it's very informative. So on the intellectual level, you'd get something, but also on the like entertainment level, I just think it's so fun. It brings me joy. I laughed. Comes on today. So I'm excited to watch it tonight. (laughs) Yeah, that's my little piece of joy. What about yours? First of all, I got to call you out real quick before I share mine, because you have been like traveling a lot. And I know another thing that I think brings you joy is carnivals. But I don't know if you want (laughs) to talk, expound on that. But I just I know that's like culturally something since I've known you that like brings you a lot of joy that you don't like to miss. Yeah. And maybe one day we can intellectualize it. I won't try to do it today. But I definitely enjoy carnival and I did semi-participate in Orlando Carnival a couple of weeks ago. I say semi-participate because they didn't go to the actual parade, which for most Caribbean carnival slash festivals, the culmination is like the parade and for there's, it's way too hot in Orlando. Like yeah. I've been out there <laughs> one day, one time and it was like 95 or plus degrees and my sister and I almost passed out. and so. I was like, "Mm -mm, not doing it again. (laughs) But (laughs) we we went to a few parties, including one that's called Cooler Fet. So Fet is the name of most soca parties. And so soca is the most um, common music that's associated with carnival. Sometimes people go to parties that play like soca, reggae, dance hall, all different forms of Caribbean music. But soca is like the main type of music for carnival season. And so the parties are are called FET. So we went to this one called Cooler Vet. And you bring your own cooler and you can bring whatever alcohol you want in there as long as it's not glass. And so that was a great party. We got, got there, started, it was from 1030 to 6. So we got there a little after 12. I think we got inside mm-hmm. around 1 and we stayed until like about 530. <laughs> <laughs> so we got back to the house around 630. So it's a great time, but... I definitely warn people, if you haven't done a Caribbean carnival for your first time, you might just want to step your toe in the water, may not want to go full fledged. So (laughs) that was a really great time. Went to another like all inclusive party the next day. So it was just a really great time. I love it. You're right. That definitely brings me joy. And I'll be going to Toronto's carnival in at the end of July. So the end of next month. So yeah, it's been great. I was laughing to myself because sometimes I'll feel like this to me feels like a low carnival time, but at mm-hmm. the end of the day, if everything goes as planned, I'll have gone to three carnivals, Orlando, Toronto, and Miami. And I'm like, 
That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a yeah. lot. It, is. it is. So I have to do this and you can shave me if you want, but so two kind of PSAs on carnival. A, for white people, if you're listening, this is not like clown carnival. And that's why I said Caribbean. I tried to. <laughs> so, yeah, so you can Google it. But then my other PSA is don't Google it at work. Because. Hey. I'm talking about making sure people don't get fired. I'm not talking. I'm it's not, not. It's not a value judgment. It's not nudity. And it's not a value judgment. But I'm just saying that, you know, I had a lot of skin visible <laughs> on my phone when I Googled Carnival trying to understand your culture. And I Googled it and I was like, I'm so glad I didn't pull this up on my work computer. And I don't know, you know, sometimes if people work in corporate America, sometimes they be, the IT department be watching them. So I just want to make sure people don't, you know, have to That's answer any questions. HR. But it's not, I think the part of, to your point, when we come back to this, because we've done this podcast for far too long and not talked about this. <laughs> But like when we talk about it and intellectualize, I think it'll be important to talk about what it means to sexualize something and like who owns the sexuality associated with Carnival. And yeah. I know I've had a conversation with somebody we both know just about almost like this disdain for the that expression of sexuality that's associated with Carnival and in Brazil, but also all the other ones. And so I wonder if there's some anti-blackness associated with that. And when I say I wonder if, I, I also mean <laughs> I want to talk about the anti-blackness that is absolutely associated with that. <laughs> yes. And yeah, it's I definitely am looking forward to that conversation. And it's been really interesting to just see also because of social media, Carnival has got so much exposure to non-Caribbean people. And so when there's like this girl who's on TikTok and her handle, I think is American Wines Matter. And there was an mm -hmm. incident that happened earlier this year that some people thought it was like disrespecting of the culture by an American person. And so that is like also an interesting piece of like yeah. when people that aren't, I guess, native and really like quotation and problematic are to the culture, when you enter into an activity by that culture, what, what say do you have in a way? Because I even think about for myself, like coming up on Juneteenth, there's, there's thoughts that I have about like my own engagement with Juneteenth and I'm mindful that I'm not American. So what does that mean? You know, how I celebrate. And I think that is another element of what does it mean to, yes, I think all are welcome and should participate, but what does it mean when you participate in a culture that isn't yours? And so, you know, while you can be welcome to it, I don't think you should be the voice of it. And so I think yeah. also just being mindful of that. So yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that. I will, you know, do my research and homework so we can <laughs> go in depth. <laughs> but I think yeah. uh, it's, it will be an interesting conversation. For sure. For sure. Well, you asked me what was bringing me joy. So yes. first, first of all, it's a great time for like television right now and movies too. So for me as a nerd, Stranger Things is back. The Boys is back on Amazon Prime and then Miss Marvel just launched on Disney Plus and Miss Marvel follows Kamala Khan who is I think Pakistani definitely like Muslim superhero very good first episode that I saw recently so like from from that perspective I think that's something that allows me to just kind of turn my brain off and enjoy life um, and enjoy imagination and all that stuff but mm -hmm. 
what I was sharing with you earlier that really was a moment of just like pure joy for me and uh, my wife was that I found this Instagram account and this is free promo for them, I guess. It's an Instagram account called The Song House. And so The Song House is this account where it's, it's a bunch of songwriters from Nashville and they get together and they essentially take 30 minutes to write a hook to a pop or R&B style song. They go away for 30 minutes and they come back and they have the hook to this like song and they sing it. And then they're kind of their kind of thing is that if you blow it up, if you make it popular on social media, we'll record the song. So they actually have full songs on um, Spotify that you can actually listen to. But the song house is just, I don't know. It was just so joyful. The songs are so fun. It's like musicians doing jam sessions as somebody, I am a musician, believe it or not, I, I don't talk about it a lot, but I played the trombone for nine years. And so I love music. My wife also played trombone, I think for around the same amount of time. Oh, and funny. I didn't think I knew that both of you all played it. Yeah, we both played uh, trombone and then we both sing as well. We uh, actually met in gospel choir. And so it very much gives me some of those similar vibes of the jam sessions that you have with other singers where you're standing around just making up stuff, singing songs, riffing, freestyling, uh, or the jam sessions that you have when you are in a band and you pull out your instrument and you just start playing different things and uh, creating music. And I don't know, it just kind of took both of us back to kind of that vibe and it was so wholesome. I know that's like a word that gets thrown around a lot on <laughs> social media, but it was just really like wholesome. It, it just felt like we were able to re remove ourselves from the madness of what's going on in the world and really just enjoy music. I, especially for me as somebody who, like I listen to a lot of really dark R&B, very ephemeral kind of R&B. And I listen to like, lyrical rap, but I also listen to a lot of gangster rap. And, and and so sometimes when I separate myself from that, it's like the complete opposite end of those <laughs> things, which is then I would say the complete opposite end of gangster rap is like the worship music that I listen to and okay. so Maverick City music and elevation worship. And so this kind of, I don't, this is a weird comparison, but this songhouse stuff kind of fit in this weird sweet spot for me where it was like still about regular life stuff. It's not Christian music, but it's uh, also not like dark, right? And so it was just like fun and we were able to be goofy and dance around. We were traveling when we found it. So dancing around the hotel room, singing along <laughs> to stuff and then finding the songs on Spotify. So anyway, I, I read the reason I wanted to talk about this on a podcast though, is because I think for the listeners, it, we are going through just dark times, I think. Things have been kind of dark personally for me this year. Mm -hmm. I started ER off wrecking my car and my dad passed away and it was a lot. I got COVID, you know, and, but even on a worldwide level, I think we've just been in, and I don't cuss a lot on the podcast, so I apologize, but it's been like a shit storm <laughs> since 2016 of just like thing after thing after thing. A lot of it was around Trump and then we hit 2020 and there's a whole pandemic and then there was an election and the insurrection. And so it's just been a lot. Yeah. And so I, I think reminding ourselves to find those moments of joy, to find those things that bring us joy and not 
reveling in that constant state of confusion and annoyance and I don't know that negative energy that I feel like is flowing from the world. I follow people like on Instagram who I feel like live there. They've made a home in that negativity. And I found myself almost setting up camp in the negativity at times because it's what we study. We have a podcast. It's what we do on the podcast. And then when I do diversity and inclusion work at work, I will go to work and also be in the negativity. And so I think it's important just for everyone to remember that there's like more joy that we can get out of life and we don't have to live in those negative spaces. Okay. I want to talk about what you shared because it makes me think of this show that I saw. So I haven't followed the song house. Definitely want to get into it. And I saw this show that it was almost like you, you write a song and then like, it's not the lyrics one that came out like years ago where like, you know, there was like three um, writers and then this top artist had to pick one. I think mm-hmm. there, I don't remember the name of that show, but it had like voice to men. It had like Usher, you know, actually mm-hmm. like big time artists selecting yeah. songwriters. But there's one that I saw recently and it was like, oh, you had to make like an anthem about America and then they were going to oh. record it. I'm going to look it up. Okay, um, I've not heard of this. <laughs> and come back to it because I'm like, it sounds kind of like in the vein of what you're talking about. It sounds like a show that, you know, as you said, brings joy. It's lighthearted. It is wholesome in some ways. And mm-hmm. I connect to that type of thing too, again, for the similar reasons of like, you know, I don't want to say escapism, but it just allows you to focus on not all the negativity. Um, And yeah, I definitely am looking forward to looking at it. And I'm always interested too in like the writing of music. My friends were freestyling the other day and I'm like, I need a ghostwriter because I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I like to think I'm a, a, you know, okay writer, but when it comes to song lyrics, listen, I don't know. I just, I really be trash. But. I need to get back into it. I need to get back into it. I think that's the other thing. Like for me with music specifically, I used to rap. And I mean, I, it's weird to say I'm, I was pretty good, but I was good. Like I was like, people would compare the style of rap. I'm not saying lyrically I was on the level of this person. But they would compare my style of rap and my cadence and my rap voice to Andre 3000. And that was like the vein of music that I was really into. And so for me, like I I remember and still have books and books of raps and poetry that I wrote during middle school and high school, mostly high school. And I've fallen away from a lot of that part of my life. And some of it is time. Some of it is just like feeling as if I should not embrace those different parts of myself for different reasons. And so I look forward to being done with this PhD and just getting back into that part of myself. You know, I'm not trying to record an album or anything, but I guess I could. But like, I want to get back into that because I used to freestyle. Like I was a battle rapper for a little bit. But we just used to have rap circles at school where we would, somebody would beat on the lunch table and we would rap. So I think that's also why I love Songhouse because it just reminds me of that unbridled creativity where somebody who had a really beautiful voice would just start singing something random. Somebody else would be banging on a, the lunchroom table and then the singer would stop and I would jump in with a rap or do ad libs on the singing. And I'm just like, man, I would, you know, I want to embrace that part of myself and just kind of revel in that because I love that type of creativity. So I think 
like what you you probably will find and what I'm hoping to find now going on a year out of school that we can like mm-hmm. tap into other things that we're passionate about that we're interested in because we yeah. spent so much time in school. So hopefully you'll have time to invest in those things that, you know, are like creative and like you, you don't have the same deadlines that you were working in right now. <laughs> so I will feel a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. I found the show, like the first show I mentioned, I can't find the second one, but the first show I mentioned where a number of writers would come together, then an artist would select them. It's called Songland. And I think it's on Hulu. Okay. It's really, it's really good because they're, it's cool because it's actual artists that like many of us know we connect with and like hear them. And then there's also writers, but they're more like popular. Some have won Grammys and they assist these like novice songwriters mm-hmm. and they help them to create songs for these artists. And it's really cool because, you That's know, cool. Yeah, we get to kind of see the behind the curtain. So it, it reminds me of what you shared. And yeah. you know, since you called me out, I'll call you out because I want to hear <laughs> how this concert was because I'm actually going on Tuesday here in Toronto. Oh, and so okay. I know that you attended a concert recently. So I want to know yeah. how did it go? How was your experience? Yeah, so I attended with my wife the Kingdom Tour concert, uh, which is Maverick City Music and the Icon Kirk Franklin. And I don't say that lightly. I say that very seriously. It was amazing. I don't go to a lot of concerts, to be quite honest. The last one we went to before that was, I think, the Coloring Book concert, Chance the Rapper. We just don't go to a lot of concerts. But Kirk Franklin performed with so much energy. It was crazy to think about somebody who I grew up listening to I don't know exactly how old he is. He might be in his 50s at this point. But like somebody who we grew up listening to who was just so amazing back then, still be on that same level of energy, jumping around, flipping around on stage, (laughs) screaming, you know, and they did like a throwback moment where they just performed some of his old songs. Okay, that's about to ask. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, we got into it, you know, (laughs) I was sitting there and I was just like, oh, man. Like I had thought before we went, I was like, the one thing I just want to hear, I was like, I know they're going to do Stomp. I know they're going to do Revolution because you can't have Kirk Franklin in the venue and not do that. I was like, but I really want to hear Melodies from Heaven. And so they got into Melodies from Heaven. And then Maverick City Music, they're just, they're icons in their own right. They are so good at what they do, which is like contemporary Christian music, but also infusing like elements of gospel elements of you know rock and hip-hop as well in a lot of what they do chandler moore i think is his name Mm -hmm. is one of the lead vocalists marianne george i think is another one of the lead vocalists and just like really good musicians really good songwriters and so got to hear a lot of their big hits like man of your word and gyra and so i i just enjoyed that i think as a and if you're not a christian like you can hit skip or whatever on this part but What I also enjoyed just from like a a Christian perspective was just being in this venue and seeing thousands of people around me, behind me. Everybody is hands in the air. Everybody's just like focused on Jesus and praising the Lord. And it was just so mind boggling, I think, to remember that like, because I think the, that sometimes our churches and, and, and our communities, we everything is so polarizing that a lot of times we start to feel like I'm the only one. I'm the only one who feels like this. I'm the only one who understands or my little small community. And it was just like, no, like there are a lot of people and uh, Christians have a lot of work to do and we are trashing a lot of ways 
And I will say we, because even though I don't agree with what most Christians do, like we are all under the same umbrella and unfortunately societally. And so there's, I'm not saying that I would ideologically agree with everyone who was in that venue, but it was cool to know that like, I'm just in community with a bunch of people that just love the Lord. And so that was also dope. Yeah. I mean, nothing else to say other than if you, again, free promo for people that don't need it, but they have a new song called Bless Me. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Bless so, Me is amazing. Yeah. I have about five days to like listen to it every day. So I'll learn it. Yeah. But I didn't realize. So I'm glad it's just a song, I think, from what I found, because Okay, a random thing about me is I can enjoy a concert if I don't know any of the songs, but it's so much better when you know the songs because mm-hmm. you're just like singing it into it. So I was a little afraid because I saw the song come up and I was like, oh my gosh, did I miss a whole album? But I think it's only like a single right now. It is. The album, they're doing their concert. I'm not going to say weird because I don't go to enough concerts to have any opinions on this, but the the album is coming out, I think, June 14th. Oh, that's the day I'm going. Hilarious. Yeah. So the album will drop then. I don't think they're going to change their set list all that much. So okay. I think that, and then I could be wrong, but I don't think they're going to change their set list. So I would say you're going to know the majority of what they sing at that concert. Bless Me is the is one new song and it's very repetitive. Yeah. So it's not something that you, I mean, you can learn it in five minutes. The rest of it, unless they add in a bunch of new stuff, I think they perform one other thing from the album that I've never heard anywhere, but it was really easy to catch on to. It also is giving like big church vibes. So anything they sing, the words are on the screen. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's like it's giving church vibes. Like it's the, the words are on the screen. They're helping you. It's not you're not going to be left uh, to just know it by heart. But the album, the cool thing about that album that they're releasing is that it was written over the course of six days with some guys who are incarcerated. Oh. Um, who Some guys who I believe they said are serving like life in prison. And so it was a really good experience. But even just realizing that enjoying that also supports these men and their in their situation and they're, you know, fighting for the freedom of people who are incarcerated. And there's a lot of advocacy that's happening alongside the music as well, which is cool. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was random. My cousin got a ticket and she's like, oh, I got this concert ticket and I bought an extra one. I'm like, okay, I'm coming. So yeah, you're yeah, I'm excited. Like I got goosebumps thinking about, you know, the music like Gyra, like I will say brought yeah, me through yeah. last year. I love that song so much. I like took lyrics from the song and put it on my mirror. I'm at home. So definitely that's a big song for me. And there's a song that like, I didn't want to ask you if they're singing it by Kirk Franklin because I'm just going to hope that they will. And I don't want to be disappointed now. So (laughs) I'm just going to like see if if it happens. But I was going to ask you if they sing like Kirk Franklin songs because I'm like, that would be really like amazing. And yeah, it wasn't until, it's sad to say, but it wasn't until the Kirk Franklin and Fred Hammond verses that I realized Kirk Franklin wrote certain songs that yeah. like he's not on but he wrote and I was like okay I definitely yeah. <laughs> thought Kirk Franklin was the icon on his own but like the songs and just like the the current state of like gospel music and the sound I remember I think it was mm-hmm. either like 1997 or 1996 like whatever your stop came out mm-hmm. and um my cousins like were the first people that played it for me and I was like whoa this is really different from you know gospel music at the time yeah. but to just think about how like that is like 
stomp is like nothing now. Like you hear stomp and it's like, okay, like it's. Oh, it's so normal. I have a funny story about stomp and this is apropos to nothing. And we might have to <laughs> delete one of our other topics because this is, this has nothing to do with anything. Very quick story though. And I'm not going to call this pastor's name because he's still a mentor of mine. He's a really great guy. But when Stomp came out, I was in the children's choir at a church back in Alabama. And we sang and we learned and sang Stomp at church uh, for church on Sunday. And I mean, the whole nine, like we had dance moves and we, when they said Stomp, we like stomped, which I know is not surprising to anybody, but like we did the whole thing. And when we got done, the pastor turned around and looked at the choir director and said, don't you ever sing that song in my church ever again? And was dead serious, did not laugh. It was this horrible moment where you couldn't redeem yourself because it was the song before the sermon. <laughs> so like, so it was like our final thing. Ah, this is our showstopper. It's our last deal. And then we did it. And he's like, yo, don't ever do that again. And he turns around, gets up and preaches. So we couldn't defend ourselves we couldn't uh-huh. sing another song and i remember feeling such shame around like how we were worshiping because it was one of the first times i remembered having fun worshiping and then feeling as if somebody were telling you that you weren't allowed to have fun while you worship that that just wasn't what worship was about was the message that we learned from that i learned and took away from uh-huh. that and so it wasn't until i got older and went to college and was around this student ministry, shout out to God's anointed new generation gang, student ministries. Like until I was around, yo, do not laugh. I did not name it, but it was dope when we were in college. It was dope when we was in college, okay? The gang gang student ministries was like the first time where I had shown up and like we would just dance and we would run around and it was like, it's okay to worship in this not place. Not gang student ministries. I'm sorry. Yeah, for yeah, no, yeah. I'm not going to. We can get into it after the podcast. because I can't do that with like, you. What? We have to get into it after the podcast. There's so much to say about gang student ministries. But that was my family for a lot of years in college. So a lot of love in that community. But like that was the first time where I realized that like, okay, it's okay to worship in a different way. Young people can do things differently than what the older people did. And it doesn't mean I don't love Jesus. And I was raised in like a missionary Baptist church and gang student ministries came out of like a holiness kind of uh, tradition. So it was a lot of, it was a lot of uh, difference in the way that, that worship happened. But anyway, <laughs> no, you're, you're good. I'm laughing. <laughs> because I'm the reason that it's funny to me is because it's not funny to me, not that I don't want you to laugh, but it's like not, it's never been something that was funny because in my brain, it just always made sense. So to say it to somebody who wasn't around during that time and for it to be funny is like really interesting. It's making me reflect on, we probably should have laughed a lot harder at ourselves because we thought that was cool and nobody questioned it. But yeah, I got to remember this was, I was in college undergrad from 2007 to 2011. So yeah. you got to remember the times, you know, this was before gang gang. Like nobody was saying gang gang. So. <laughs> True. Um, yeah. But yeah, like a maybe explanatory comma here is there are like, you know, so many, I don't even know how many Christian denominations out there, but there's so many, you know, and depending on what type of denomination you're a part of, there are like different, you know, norms of 
worshiping or, you know, Mm -hmm. in this context that we're talking about, like singing or, you know, just showing up even in the church. And so I think, you know, for MP and I, we shared a similar type of like maybe experience where there was a more of what people would call like a conservative type of like music or singing. And so Kirk Franklin is part of you know, the maybe revolution of gospel in our like yeah. era and talking about, you know, making it more mainstream, you know, because I, I would say I feel like most people of like any denomination that's Christian, um, that's black and or just a black person would know Kirk Franklin. And then I think yeah. there's if there's one gospel artist that any other white person would know, it would be Kirk Franklin. And so just the right. fact that like his name is like a household name for gospel artists, you know, is pretty uncommon when you think about the type of music. And so, yeah, it's definitely an icon, has experienced like also racism within the Christian music industry, which has been also interesting to kind of see like his stance. And I appreciate his vocalness, particularly when there has been, you know, incidents like the murder of George Floyd and him, you know, being vocal and saying, I experienced these things even within this industry that is said to be Christian and how he experiences things as a black man. You know, I think he got, they cut off part of his speech at the Dove Awards, I think, as -hmm. an example. And he was talking about um, systemic racism and they cut it off when they aired it. And so I think the next time there was something that he had to do, he just said, I'm not going to perform. Like, I'm not going to participate if you're not going to allow me to speak to my experience as a black man in America. And so he has like a really interesting story. Like he was adopted and like grew up in poverty and and it was like, he has a really interesting story. He'll talk about it at the the concert, so I won't spoil it. But like the thing that I think with Kirk Franklin is also just that he is very much an example of bridging these different gaps. So older people really loved his music too. They just sometimes didn't realize that this was the same man. And so what I mean when I say that is I don't know anybody over 50 who doesn't love melodies from heaven and a silver and gold. You know what I mean? Like these iconic gospel songs that have bled over into white culture as well, but he also made revolution and stomp. And so there was this, it was hard for them to accept both of those as the same. This is the same man. He's creating the same music and both of them are worshiping the same God. But then also on the flip side of that, when you make iconic music in that way, you also end up having acceptance from the white community and they'll accept you, but then they want a certain thing from you and they don't want the rest of it, which is something that Lecrae, the Christian rapper also faced where he got big, his audience was white people, which is really the case for most hip hop artists. But like, White people, I've been to a Lecrae concert and them white people know every lyric. Like they know every single lyric and every comma of every song. And then when Trayvon Martin got killed and, you know, he's starting to speak out about race and racism in between that time of 2013 to like 2018. And then even again in 2020, he starts speaking out on race and racism and the white community just revolted on him and tried to cast him out and just say, hey, we want you to shut up and rap. And it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought we were all a community. Like, well, you're being divisive, right? And he didn't leave the faith, but he very much was like, I'm done with evangelical Christianity in a lot of ways and ended up having to kind of deconstruct his faith and figure out what he believed in. Again, apropos to nothing, but 
I do think it's interesting. I'm, I guess it's not nothing at this point. We're talking about race racism, which uh, yeah. I think is, you know, obviously the core of the podcast. But like Kirk Franklin, I think in a lot of ways experienced that same thing where he got so big. And I think you think, oh, I'm universally accepted. And it's like, no, 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 sweetie, your music is universally accepted. Your voice is not. And because Black people, whether they be regular people or artists or athletes, typically their talent comes with their voice. I think that should be the case for everybody. But a lot, I think there are white actors and athletes who perform and go sit down and they don't, they're not activists. They don't have a whole lot to say about issues. And that's changing. But there is a deep history of Black artists and athletes also being activists and having their voice come along with their talent. And when you cross over right into just broader fame, that voice is not always accepted. Yeah. And this is like random, but maybe comical. And Kirk Franklin, Chris now his son is like top tier sound bites. <laughs> 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 it's just flat. It is the best. We were talking about that because I was just like, I don't know. I feel like black people were just like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. My mom. Yeah. Like, it was just a laugh about it because he thought it was going to be like his son. I don't know. Maybe thought people were going to disown Kirk Franklin. It was going to be like this whole thing. And I think everybody, for the most part, is, I'm pretty sure my parents talked to me like that before. Or like, yeah. So my grandparents, somebody. So we're all like, mm -hmm, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I was like, you know, no, you know, shout out to my big brother, but I was like, my dad has talked to my big brother like that. So I'm like, that to me is not like a shocking revelation. I think, you know, we also have seen Kirk Franklin deal with uh, completely left field, but he got, ex he exposed himself for being addicted to pornography when we were coming up. And how him and his wife had to work through that. And I remember that being a really big deal. Him cussing out his son as a black father, man, we not. I mean, I was like, every, <laughs> every black person has heard, like, I brought you in this world, I'll take you out. Yes. Is it a threat? Yes. Should we probably not say that to each other? Probably. But it's a deep, so. that's the thing is that line, we're not going to go on a Cosby tangent, but like that line on the Cosby show is funny to black people for a different reason then I think it's funny to white people. I think white people laugh at it because of its absurdity. Oh. I think black people laugh at it because of how common it is. And when you yeah. capture the commonality of black life and put it on TV, <laughs> it makes it more funny. But I don't think white people really understand it. Like my mom has said that, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and kind of meant it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm just like, oh yeah, that's like common. So yeah. If you need a little laugh from Kirk Franklin, I don't know. I think it's funny, but that's just like, you know, black parent, black parenting 101. Like there's some key lines that I will also say, do you have McDonald's money? There's just things that you just need to say as a black parent. So yeah, it's tradition. Yeah. Yeah, do I look like Boo the Fool? Yeah. Am I one of your friends? No. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just, yeah. you know, like, yeah. you know, there's Probably. a lot of things. <laughs> For sure. So, see, I know that we have been going on for a long time, and I don't know that we have time to get into both of these things. Yeah. I but I feel like we should talk about this topic 
Yeah. Because we've not talked about it. And at this point, it's been going on for the better part of the year. Yeah, I think uh, over 100 days at this point. Yeah, which is Brittany Griner, the WNBA basketball star who has been, and just person, Black woman, who has been detained in Russia since, I think, March because of Russian officials saying that they found I've seen a couple of different reports. One says that they found a vape pen and some like weed cartridges or hemp cartridges. As, and then I saw another report that said they found that as well as narcotics. But she has been detained in Russia. People have for a lot of that time been pretty quiet about that. There wasn't a lot of uproar from celebrities, from stars for a while. And, you know, people were critiquing that saying, you know, if this were Steph Curry or, you know, I know Steph Curry and LeBron James, are like the top basketball stars in the NBA. But even if you think of somebody who's maybe more of the caliber of Brittany Griner, which some would argue Brittany Griner is the top of the WNBA. Yeah. But if, you know, if this were another athlete of that caliber, we wouldn't be this quiet about it. And there would be a lot more uproar and a lot more movement to get Brittany Griner back in the country. A another not insignificant part of this is that Brittany Griner is a lesbian and is married to a woman. As a part of the LGBTQ plus community, being detained in Russia is dangerous, right? Realizing that they are very antagonistic toward that community the queer community, and we just have not seen a lot of energy around getting her back to the United States. There's a lot of political turmoil right now happening with Russia in general, and so I understand that may be more difficult than what one would hope it would be. But I think that I don't pretend to know anything about international politics as it relates to that, but I think what is the saddest part about it is just thinking about this being another example and really a blatant example of how black women are not, I know this is cliche to say, but black women are not protected or cared about in the same way that other groups would be. So I, I guess just recognizing that I have to look for updates on Brittany Griner because I, you know, there was a pop of news about it real quick in March that I didn't even see. And then after that, I, you don't hear a peep about it until her wife speaks out a couple of weeks ago and does yeah. an interview with, I think, Jamel Hill. But there's not like continuous energy around Brittany Griner being brought home, which is really sad. Yeah. Just looking at like maybe some of the numbers. So just to give like background too, in terms of the WNBA, these are some things that I was fascinated to learn about Brittany's situation of why she was even in Russia to begin with. So she was one of the highest earned people in the WNBA last year, earning $221,000. Um, but in Russia, she was earning a million dollars. And so by numbers, I think they said like her salary in Russia was equivalent of the four highest paid WNBA players together. And so just thinking about like, the difference in salary of being able to go to Russia and make that money. And so if some right. people were like, why the heck was she in Russia? That's why she was in Russia. Um, and I, I believe her wife shared this was going to be like her last year going to Russia. She didn't want to go. I think 
her wife just graduated from law school. And, you know, it is really sad, as you said, MP, that there hasn't been much talk, I think, in popular culture about, you know, bringing Britney home and what's happening politically. And, yeah. you know, I think part of the issue is the intersectionality of her being a Black woman who's also a lesbian, um, who isn't maybe the stereotype of a feminine, like, cis woman when you look at her. And so how would this be different if, you know, maybe she was a white woman in the WNBA? What would it mean if, you know, we saw somebody else? Yes, I think it is. It's hard because people are like, okay, of course it was LeBron. People would care. So it is hard because the WNBA doesn't have the same type of fandom, you know, created around it. So it's just hard to make that direct comparison to somebody like LBJ. But I think, what did I say? LBJ? Wrong person. LeBron. I was like, like, Lyndon B. Johnson has nothing to do with this. I was like, what? I don't know what happened to my brain just now. LeBron James. Yeah. King James. We get yeah. it. It's all good. <laughs> the comparison between like SF Curry and LeBron James is like really hard for people to kind of get their head, head around. But yeah, it's really sad. Just, you know, who knows whether or not she had the alleged vape pen, but even still to be in prison since like February until now, the time of our recording in June without from what I understand, I think she was before a judge like once. It just seems pretty crazy to not have more clarity information on what's going on with her. How is she like her state of health? One time I think I heard that like, they didn't even have a bed that she could lay on. Being somebody who's pretty tall, MP, I'm sure you could relate to this. I, I mean, I struggle sometimes and I'm 5'11 with certain beds. <laughs> and I think Brittany's 6'9". Yeah, it's older than me. Yeah. So just thinking about the accommodation is the wrong word, but I know like prison and jail is not going to be comfortable, but I can only imagine what it's like there. And so, yeah, it's sad that there isn't more emphasis. I mean, we call we're calling ourselves out to say like it's stupid and we're just talking about it now. So I think that even is reflection in like our own positionality where it's like, yeah, you know, if this was LeBron James, if this was Steph Curry, how would we be talking about it? So I feel like we are accountable enough to say that is a place that like we fell short in talking and like naming and saying, you know, why aren't there more conversations around Brittany Griner and bringing her home and the circumstances around her arrest for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And there was another gentleman uh, named Trevor Reed, who is like a military person who they just brought back from, who spoke at a rally for Brittany Griner saying, you know, there's no justice in Russia and we really need to be working harder to bring her home. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, neither one of us are a part of the LGBTQ plus community. And so like that story, while I knew about it, and had heard about it and wanted to talk about it on a podcast, like, I think from a very real place of like, it wasn't living in the front of my mind in the same way that some other stories do. And I think a lot of times we do a really good job of making sure that we go and find those stories that maybe don't have as much capital in kind of the news cycles talking about, you know, for example, different trans women who have been murdered by police and the circumstances around that. And we've talked, we've done that on a podcast, but this is one of those times where I do think it's important to recognize how even as a podcast that tries to be that and tries to be an ally uh, in that way to that community, there's just times where um, drop the ball might be a strong phrase, but I'll just say 
you know, kind of dropped the ball in terms of talking about that story and advocating in the ways that we could educate it in a way that we could. And you're right. I think part of it is like in the broader media networks talking about it. Brittany Griner is I. So I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this. I think Brittany Griner is gorgeous, but she's not the traditional like white, blonde hair, blue eyed woman who everybody would mourn over being detained in Russia. And then there's no husband calling for justice. You know what I mean? And so I think some of those things are sad because it just shows us how far we have not come. God forbid, if I'm arrested somewhere, y'all better be hashtagging. Listen, (laughs) I don't want to be a hashtag, but yeah, I know it's sad. But when you think about it, it is like, who do we make hashtags about? As you said, it's definitely was and is a blind spot on our part. And so calling it out is halfway to, you know, doing better. And so I think that we, you know, want to recognize and we'll follow up with any, you know, type of updates or things that are happening. And so if you haven't heard of Brittany Griner's name, hopefully this is the spark that you need to look it up. And if there are kind of things that we can do as individuals to continue to advocate for her, you know, hopefully we can do that. Absolutely. So I want to end by asking you this question. Did not prep you to answer this question. So it's okay if you have, if you don't have anything right off, but I wanted to see what is something that you learned recently that you would share with the audience? I might need a second. Do you have something that comes to mind as I think? Yeah. So the reason I asked this question is because I have a paper that is coming out soon on Black Marxism and critical race theory. And so if you've never heard of Marxism, this is not the time for me to explain it to you. But in Marxism, there are two classes, the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. Anyway, I'm not going to go down that road. There's two classes, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. But I just learned from an economist that I was listening to a podcast the other day about something called the precaria or people who are within the precariat class. And he defines that as people who are on the verge of poverty and this growing Mm. class of the precaria. And it just made me start to think about Black people and just even like the people that I know who are like doing well in life, but are within that kind of sense of precaria where one thing goes wrong, one medical issue, you know, spouse passes away or whatever, and they would be impoverished and just recognizing the uh, precarious nature of Blackness. And anyway, again, I don't want to start a whole other topic, but it was just something that I was like, oh man, I learned this. And I kind of want to fold it into my work a little bit as I think about research, because I think a lot of times we think about class as just this very rigid thing where somebody's either rich or they're poor or the middle class and not recognizing the fluidity of those things and this idea of people living in the boundary between being middle-class and being impoverished. I'm going to fold in something I learned kind of that relates to that, maybe with, you know, precarity, but also like insurance and help. As I've shared before, like it's new to me to navigate the U.S. healthcare system, very different in Canada. But I found out apparently that like when you're at the hospital or at the care provider, 
that you can actually negotiate your bill. Yeah. And that, you know, that that is like something that you can do at the provider. So somebody who I collaborate with on Clubhouse, she shared that she recently had a surgery and was able to negotiate down the bill. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of crazy because I'm like, if you can negotiate it down, then why don't they just charge you that? It's a whole other story. But I totally like take that for granted. And, you know, I am really quite fearful of having any medical kind of emergency in the U.S. And I try as much as when I'm home to do anything I can, because like, thank God, which I've shared before, like my family hasn't been without medical issues. Like my grandma's had a bypass. We've had certain Mm -hmm. things and we haven't paid for anything. And we've never been in debt because of medical stuff. And just hearing people's circumstances, even friends, you know, a friend has like oral surgery that like basically she doesn't have it something will like eat away at her gums but it's six thousand dollars and her insurance is only going to cover 50 percent. and it's mm-hmm. there's three thousand dollars and i'm like what like it is hard for me to understand <laughs> and so i learned yeah. about like negotiating your medical bill so if you don't know that it's something that you can do i didn't know that you know maybe this is like a novice american healthcare person but i did no. not know that you can negotiate medical bills and also, like she said, become friends with like your HR person or whoever that yeah. might be the person that kind of is the liaison between the insurance and your workplace, because sometimes that person can also help you like kind of navigate bills or find out different things that can assist you. And so she's if you want everyone once in a while, like just call them, contact them, just build a rapport with them. And I was like, what? It's crazy. And so I just want to share that because I, I ha- d- don't know any of this. This is like all like I'm, I'm just like, OK, you know, I, I would try to like skirt as much as I can to not use things. But just want to share that because that's what I learned. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm about to say the most 2022 thing I've ever said. But I saw a TikTok the other day about that, about negotiating your medical bills. But. You know, I we've lived through some of that. Yeah. See, and I've yeah. told you before, it's it's all fake. It's all made up. They will charge you whatever they want because you're never supposed to see the bill. Like they charge whatever they want because if they charge these exorbitant prices, the insurance company typically negotiates with the hospital. So the insurance company says, yo, I'm not paying you that. I'll pay you this. And they go, okay. But if you highball it, then even the negotiation is more than it was worth. So it's all fake money and they're moving it around to pay and you're never supposed to have to worry about it. The challenge is that when it does fall to you, if the insurance company goes, "Uh, uh-uh, we're not paying this and it falls to you, then you get this giant bill, which is how me and my wife ended up with a $70,000 helicopter bill when she had to have brain surgery. And they were like, you can get on a payment plan. And I'm like, bro, there's no payment plan. You're not giving us money. Like I'm not paying $70,000. And we wrote a letter to our insurance company. And after months of going back and forth with them over the phone, as soon as I sent a letter, they were like, okay, we'll pay. But if I hadn't done that, if I hadn't known to write a letter and had to, had the writing ability. You would have paid it or been bankrupt or something. Right. Exactly. Anyway, I don't want to belabor, but yeah, that's the, that is challenging. And I think a lot of people have to learn a lot about the system and the way it works and how to game it. I would definitely say though, that. If you're, if you work in higher education, I would recommend, especially if you're pretty transient, like URT, recommend the state PPO plan, not the HMO plan. 
this is real in the weeds, but the HMO plan, you have to be in network to get medical care, which means that as soon as you go to Orlando on one of your trips and something happened and you go to the doctor and you're out of network, it's a wrap. You don't get that whole bill. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. So that's where for me, I'm like, when I show up, give me the PPO. Cause I'm going to be back and forth to Alabama. I'm all over the place and I can't plan. During enrollment, we'll revisit this. <laughs> yeah. When open enrollment happens. Yeah. This, it's no one thing. cares. No way. People have turned off the podcast at this one. This episode 39. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate y'all for listening. We appreciate y'all. We hope you will check us out on Instagram at Black Intellectualish. And we'll see y'all for episode 40. Maybe we should do something. That sounds like a yeah. thing to celebrate. So episode 40, we'll figure out what we're going to do to uh, celebrate. Now have a good one. Peace. Later.